Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Can we stand to our feet, Church Alive? If you're watching online, stand up. Let's pray together and believe for the touch of God upon this place right now. Heavenly Father, I love you and praise you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We know there is no other name like your name. God, it's sweeter. It brings you presence. And I sense you in this place and I ask you to move what must be moved. ask you to speak where you need to speak. Those watching online, I pray for them today that there would be what they need today, a fresh oil from heaven. I know many watch from other states and so I pray for them today that right now there would come a fresh oil from heaven over their lives. I pray in our kids' ministry right now. I believe you over fearless ministry right now. I believe you over this church for your health, for your life, for your strength. I pray, Lord God, that it would be an army rising, but it wouldn't just be an army rising, it'd be an army doing, doing all they're called to do in Christ Jesus. I declare champions in this place. I declare warriors in this place. I declare heaven's assignment is happening in this house. I declare faith is coming alive in this place. I declare people are getting saved. Lord, people are making wise choices. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for your life and strength in your powerful name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand one more time if you believe it. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Mr. Faringa on the drums. Take a seat. How many enjoyed last week with Mr. Steve Rozek and the lovely Valani bringing your great word? Wasn't that good? It really was. If you're new to our church today, we've been in a series for the last four weeks called Warrior. Someone say Warrior. There is a need of warriors, isn't there? If the world was perfect, we wouldn't need warriors. If the world was perfect, we wouldn't need policemen. If the world was perfect, you wouldn't need to lock your doors at night. If the world was perfect, you wouldn't need the army and the marines and special forces. You wouldn't need any of those things. We'd just float around, wouldn't we? We'd just go, oh, life is lovely. And it, oh, it's just so lovely. But how many know it's not like that? <laughs> Spoiler alert. The world is not a playground. It's a battleground. And the longer you live, you actually begin to realise that more and more. And so I'm, I'm not spoiling it for you. Understand this, that God has something good for you. God has abundant life for you. God loves you. But interesting enough, the Old Testament figures, many times God asked them and required them to step into something. And unfortunately, that something was always a battle. That we didn't want a battle, but we're born into a battle. We wanted a perfect world, but we weren't born into a perfect world. And so you and I are in the battle, whether we like it or not. You're like, I just want to meditate on nice things. And that's good and think on good things. But how many know that there'll still be struggle? 
You ever get tired? And you're like, why is life so tiring? <laughs> have you ever had one of those, have you ever tried to relax for a day or relax for a weekend and at the end of the day you were exhausted yeah. from relaxing? Yes. You're like, I've watched four movies today and I'm beat. I'm just, why am I so tired? Because <laughs> I'd say to you today that life is many times a battle. The first time we see a sword in the Bible is actually in the Garden of Eden. That when Adam and Eve fall, God sends a warring angel to protect the tree of life. The last time we see a sword in the Scripture is actually Jesus Himself. Jesus not meek and mild. Jesus not just on a stained glass window with, with blue eyes and blonde hair flowing. Jesus had a sword. Jesus is a warrior, was a warrior, will always be a warrior. He is love, He is mercy, He is compassionate, but in the very heartbeat of God is this King. And that King is a warrior. I wanna re-emphasize the picture of man or woman of faith being a warrior. Exodus 15 verse three says, the Lord is a warrior and the Lord is His name. There's so many distorted pictures that often we carry many times from movies. I, I remember personally how the, the pictures that I saw of preachers and pastors and priests on the screens of movies that I had seen over the years when I first stepped out to become a pastor actually were like this limiting factor to me because I saw something on TV so many times that was a false image or a poor image or a bad image of what a preacher really was. And so when I would tell someone I was a pastor, I didn't wanna tell them I was a pastor because the image in my head was weak. The image in my head was formal and dainty many times. It was perhaps some man in, in a white collar. And I was like, well, that's not me. I don't like to dress like that. <laughs> and so I had to battle in a lot of ways the images that were injected into me. And many men often have to really fight the image that is injected into you of a man of faith. Because you see The Rock and you see Arnold Schwarzenegger and you see Liam Nielsen and you're like, man, I'd rather be these guys. And they bring justice and they kick butt. <laughs> and they do stuff and it's wild. You're like, oh, I'd rather be him. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Come on, somebody. If you're online, I know that you want to be that guy. Even if you're not that guy, you're like, oh, I want to be that guy. What's amazing is that the picture that you may have of Elisha and the word when I say prophet, all these pictures come and conjure up in your mind. But the interesting thing, if you study the Scriptures, is that Elisha is far more like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or a Liam Nielsen than he is of a perhaps a person looking like a clergy. And you're like, come on, you're, you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. If you read the text, you're like, really, you did that? Is that what they taught you in seminary? 
We jump into a passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18 and it's kind of the, the okay corral moment of the Bible. It's this, okay, we're going to fight and we're going to go down. And Elijah is living at a time when the children of Israel have wandered far away from the living God. They are serving the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. They are living lives and celebrate. They don't just approve or they don't just kind of wink their eyes at sexual immorality. They celebrate it. They, they, they model it. They, they, they say, listen, if you're not for this, we're cancelling you. And so he calls them to a showdown. And he literally says to them, hey, by the way, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a fight. And the fight is over true worship. And so he literally invites 850 of the prophets. And there's this big crowd around. and They're all watching and observing what's going to happen. And, and they literally pray for hours that fire would show up. And the Bible says something interesting. I love this line. It says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 29, they pray and pray and pray, these false prophets, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Just in case you weren't sure that no one answered, they said no responded, no one answered, no one paid attention. Kind of rubbing it in a little bit like, no one's listening to you, you're a loser. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, then Elijah, after they've prayed, after they've cried out, after they literally cut themselves for hours, he mocks them. He literally does mama jokes on them. He's like, listen, your God's asleep. He's on the toilet. He's constipated. He's got diarrhea issues. No, it's read the text. Read the text. He literally, the, the, script, the text says, is he on the bathroom? Is he on vacation? little joke okay in church. What do you think? Read the text. Sometimes the text is worse than the preacher. I just want to let you know. <laughs> you know, occasionally I'll say something and, and, and someone will tell, that's way too harsh. And I'm like, have you read what the Apostle Paul told people? He's like, cut it off. He's like, what? Anyway, I won't go there, but that's what he said. You can use your own imagination. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and watch this now. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He just took time in front of them to repair the altar. What is the altar? The altar is the place of worship. Not false worship because they had been doing that. Not anything goes worship because they'd been doing that. Not, not a nameless God, but a the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God of Yahweh, sorry, the, the God whose name is Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He sets up this altar in front of everyone and it takes time to do it and it has to be right. And then He gets this bull, He cuts it up and then He asks them to do something interesting. He asks them to pour water over it three times. They are in a three-year drought it is, people are dying because of starvation, dying because they don't have water. But he says, go get the most precious commodity of the day and pour it over the altar. It is extravagant to do it once. It is silly almost to do it twice. And it is almost mocking them to say, hey, rain is coming if I do this three times. 
And then the fire of God actually falls. And then all of a sudden, the people who are worshipping false gods, here's what they say in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal and don't let them go away. They seized them and Elijah had brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Someone say warrior. He is without question exceptionally committed to his God. There is no ifs and buts, is there? He literally goes Liam Nielsen on these people. He goes Denzel Washington type of stuff. He, he literally takes them down. He does not mercy on them. He, he literally leads them to a place and then he kills them because they have led the whole nation astray and they have brought in untold curse. But he is reinstating blessing. And here's what I want you to feel for a moment. Have you ever had to stand in front of, and thankfully I've not, but have you ever had to stand in front of 850 people and you're the lone voice? Feel the moment for a moment. How many like people to like you? Say yes. yes. If you don't, they probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> but how many know it's healthy to want people to like you? I've met people and they're like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I've often found those people care more about it, what anyone thinks than everyone else. <laughs> but I, I want people to like me. I want friends. I want to smile at people. I want to be like, hey, how are you? Come over for dinner. I want you to come over. I want you to cook a steak. I, I want to have a good time. But he has to stand in front of 850 people who are the primary leaders of the day and literally tell them everything they're doing is wrong. Here's the interesting thing. He is for them, but he is not for their ideology. He is for the nation of Israel, but he is against everything that they're doing. And that's why sometimes as a Christian, you and I can seem like we're against people, but we're not against people. We're always for people. This is why the God of the Bible can seem like He's against people, but He's not against people. He's always for people. He always loves people, but He is often against their ideology. He is against their false worship. He is not for every standard. He is, he is changeless forevermore. Are you with me? If you're familiar with the chapter before, 1 Kings chapter 17, God takes Elijah on this interesting journey. And the journey is a journey of waiting. Someone say waiting. He, is, he declares a, a famine and then God says, go to this ravine. And, and there's this kind of Ace Ventura pet detective moment where he just goes, oh. And these ravens come and they bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And it's this amazing thing where God provides for him and he has no other option but to wait on God. He has no other option but to wait on God. And I know I'm 10 minutes into my talk already, but I want to give you my title.
I like that you found that so funny. <laughs> Warriors wait. Warriors wait. I had to make you, make you wait for the title. <sighs> like God had me wait for the word. In first. King 17, he has proclaimed a drought. He is now in a ravine and, and these birds are coming and then the, the ravine dries up. And you're kind of like, well, God, you told me to go to a place and now that's dried up, which means that's not your source. I'm your source. And if you keep hearing my voice, I will continually provide for you even in a famine. If you'll keep hearing my voice, I may move you on from a place. Sometimes your job is or seems like your source. But how many know that God truly is your source? And sometimes that provision gets taken away and all of a sudden you get completely thrown off. You're like, God, where are you? He's like, I'm still with you. Now it's time to wait and hear my voice. Wait for the next bit of direction. And then he has to wait again. And all of a sudden God tells him, go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, he says to him, I'm going to provide for you at Zarephath. And so you think that he's sending him to maybe this wealthy person. He sends him to a widow and she's about to die. You're like, Lord, have you got the wrong person? But what's interesting is he becomes her provision. And because he waits on God's voice, God allows him, even though he's in lack, to be a blessing. And God allows him to be the answer to a widow's cry because he's waiting on God. Because he's waiting on God, he becomes the answer to a problem. And I believe if we will wait on God, we'll become the answer to a problem. But the key to Elijah's power is that he's not just a warrior, he's a warrior that waits. He's a warrior that puts enough emphasis on hearing God's voice. Why are you in church on this Sunday morning when you could be suntanning? Let me just suggest to you, hopefully, because you're a warrior and warriors wait. How long do you have to wait? Do you come once to church? No, I found there is this continual waiting on God's voice that I am needful of God's voice. How about you? In 1 Kings chapter 18, Verse one says this, after a long time, someone say a long time. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the massive miracle is about to take place. That's 1 Kings 18. But how does God teach him? He teaches him to wait in 1 Kings 17. It is only... He is only involved in the significant, one of the most greatest miracles of the Bible in 1 Kings 18, because he has been patient and waiting in 1 Kings 17. And I know that we're in a rush to get popular in this Instagram culture. And I know that we're, we're urgent sometimes and humanity is urgent. And I was talking to my son the other day and he said some little thing, school stands for six cruel hours of something is something else. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, son, don't you realise that you're in sixth grade? And I keep trying to tell him that school is easy. It's like, dad, school's not easy. It's not easy at all. I said, wait till you get in the real world. How many wish you could go back to college? All the people in college were like, oh my gosh, college is so hard. I just want to tell you, it's not. 
It might be even in your class. And yes, you might have gone to a high level school and you had to study for hours, but I'm just telling you, it's kind of easier. Because you're in study groups with all your buddies and none of your buddies can fire you. Your buddies aren't like, you're late to study hall, you're fired. That's called a boss. And so there's this natural tendency that you and I have in high school that we have to get out of high school. And then you're in college and you have to get out of college. And then you're single and you have to get out of singleness. And then you're married and you have to get out of just, just marriedness and have a baby. And, and then when you have a baby, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to grow up and stop pooing your diaper. And I can't wait for you to sleep through the night. And, and then I can't wait for you to go to school. And then, and then I can't wait for you. And you spend your life and you can't wait. I can't wait for retirement. And then you get to retirement and you realise your knees and your back are shot. (laughs) And you thought it'd be a permanent vacation. You're like, no. Can't wait till I move to Florida and Florida's 30 years away. And then you got there and you realise everyone's here. (laughs) I was trying to get away from New York and New Jersey people, but no, they're there. And if you're not careful, you'll spend your life trying to get to the next level instead of being faithful with today and today's assignment. Today's assignment, today's assignment. Let me share this with you that waiting is not passive. Waiting on God isn't standing in a lotus position going, oh Lord, it's not even standing up, kind of looking, sorry, Pentecostal or charismatic, just saying, Lord, I'm waiting on you. Waiting actually is, isn't lazy, as Steve was talking about. Waiting isn't doing nothing. Waiting isn't praying and then just binge watching Netflix and playing video games. Let me share a quick story with you. When I went to America, God provided for me supernaturally to come to America. He, he just blessed me and, and doors began to open. And, and so I wrongly and, and sincerely but foolishly thought that that was the way that God was always gonna provide from then on, then on out. So when I had financial, financial problems, I'd pray about it and say, Lord, well, bless me. And then I was like, well, why aren't you blessing me? <laughs> because he wanted me to get a job. (laughs) Now I had, uh, things were provided for. I was was comparing my finances one time to another person and and, and that person was like 12 weeks into the semester and she's like, I've spent all the money my parents gave me, they gave me $2,000 for the semester. I was like, (laughs) $2,000? I came to America with $63. No idea how to get more. Just like, well, people go to, hey, well, you want to come with us to Burger King? I was like, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, I lick other people's fingers. I'd be like, finger licking good. Sorry, sorry. I was sincere but sincerely wrong I was waiting on God but He was waiting on me 
I talked to a young man recently. He was like, he was waiting on God for the right person, meaning a marriage partner. But let me just give you some help for a second. Are you getting your finances in order? Because she doesn't really want to marry broke. Isn't that true, ladies? Come on, all the ladies said. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, he's got faith. Has he got any money? No, he doesn't. (laughs) Are you getting better at your craft? Are you getting better at your job? You're like, I'm in high school. Be faithful in high school. Are you in college? Be faithful in college. Are you, do you have a crap job? Be faithful in the crap job. Because why would someone give you a non-crap job if you're not faithful in the crap job? It's good preaching. Are you dealing with some of your issues so that you can actually date someone and not destroy someone? Are you reading some relational books? Are you, are you asking a mentor? Hey, can I, can I get coffee with you? You've been married 10 years and more. How about I talk to you? What's that been like? Otherwise, you'll just do the exact same thing that your parents do. You won't want to, but you will. See, sometimes when we're not patient to wait, out of impatience, we end up sowing seeds of unfaithfulness that later we have to rip out. Can't tell you how many men that I meet that have probably messed some things up and now as they're 40 and 42 and 45, they've come back to the house of God. But sometimes, let's be honest, they've actually ruined about 10 to 15 years. That early 20s, that that late teens and early 20s, let me just say to every young man in here, get your life in order then. Get your life in order then so that you're a man worth following at 30 and 35 and 40 and 45, not coming back broken. Let me give you again hope though that God can restore and fix everything that you've broken, but it still takes time. Haven't you found that? It still takes some work sometimes of the soul. It isn't just Jesus just going twinkle. Now you're righteous and you act righteous. He declares you righteous, but how many know you have issues of the soul? And many times they take a lot of years to work out. Why do I, why do I always want to lead people not just into Sunday, but into transform groups or into evening college or into men's prayer? Why do I try and lead them to there? Because I know in that place, you're, you are being prepared. You're not just waiting on God, you're actually waiting on God getting prepared. You're not passive in your doing, you are active in your doing. Waiting is most often being faithful with the current assignment. I heard this quote recently, I thought it was worth sharing, I can't remember the author of it, but it says this, a little patience is better than a lot of regret. A little patience is better than a lot of regret. If you're a parent in here, how many know that you give your child or your teenager, you give them wisdom so that they have less regret? What do you think God's Word does to you? Come on, somebody. 
right? It gives wisdom and imparts strength. It teaches you when you're in error and, 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 and when you're a teenager, you're like, I just can't, can't wait to break out. And part of that is normal and natural because you need to leave eventually. You're not meant to be in the basement till you're 40. You need to leave eventually. But how many know that parental advice seems stifling sometimes? You're like, oh, you're just trying to stifle me. No, I'm trying to save you hours and years sometimes of regret. You know, sometimes in church life, very well-meaning people, we wait for revival. We have to be willing to do the work of discipleship. Listen, if you're, I remember for years we were waiting for revival and God was looking for people who do the work of discipleship. I'm waiting on God. Serve while you're waiting. I'm waiting on God. I, I believe that our transform group is going to be way bigger than they are today. But I'm not just waiting, I'm working. And our leaders are working. And we're waiting and we're working and, and perhaps if He hasn't given it to us yet, it means we're not ready for it. If He hasn't opened the door, that's okay. It's just He's getting us ready for it. Let me say this just for some reason regarding like social media and so forth. And too many people are trying to be social media influencers. And so many times there's just a danger to it because you don't realise it's actually about you and not about Him. Allow God to hide you. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah is hidden. No one knows really where he is. He's literally hidden and then God promotes him and elevates him to the most known prophet of the day, but he has to be willing to be hidden. You might be like, Anthony, I have a leadership gift. Be willing to be hidden. Be willing to serve when no one else serves. Be willing to do what others are not doing and be willing to not do it for a month or a year or a semester. Be willing to just do it for years and then God might look and go, you know what, let's take this man out of hiding and let's bring him to prominence because the goal isn't prominence, the goal is His glory. The goal is not prominence, the goal is not a platform, the goal is His glory. When I was first in, in, in the ministry, I wanted the ministry to grow so quickly. I was like, Lord, grow it. Grow it. Expand it. Come on. Woo. Let's go. But I am thankful, to be honest. I'm thankful for the pruning. I'm thankful when no one knows you. Thankful that He does the deepest work. Thankful that, to be honest, as I feel like our house has grown, I've kind of been like, oh Lord, You don't have to. Though I desire it, in part of me, another part of me doesn't desire it because I know the weight that comes with it and the criticism that sometimes comes with it. But here's my heart. But He 
he deserves a growing church. He deserves it. His message must have it. His, his, his glory, the best way I can say it is, we don't need the church to grow, but my goodness, God does. That no man would be elevated in it, but the people of God would be discipled and they'd be led better. And I walked away from a event recently and I thought to myself, I wonder what the measuring stick for the effectiveness of our ministry might be. And I had to think to myself, I hope it's the health and strength of families. I hope that out of this house, the men and women, if you're married in here, I hope one of the greatest things that Church Alive ever adds value to you in is this, the strength of your house. And I believe that if we'll add value to the strength of marriages and homes, come on, the church must be a place that has strong families. Otherwise, how can we reflect His glory? That means instead of rushing, we wait. Instead of rushing for the next thing, we live principled lives. Instead of rushing and trying to get all this and that done and and squeeze in maybe 20 years into 10 years, we go, no God, help me live a principled life. The key to His power, Elisha's power, the key to His power was His willingness to wait and hear God's voice and obey. I'm out of time, but let me say this last quote to you today. Waiting is preparing you for effectiveness. Waiting is preparing you to be effective. First Kings 17, he's waiting and he's doing the little things God requires of him. And First Kings 18, he is now effective. How many wanna be effective? It is in the waiting. How many know that College can seem like a long time. Master's degree can seem like a long time. A doctorate degree can seem like a long time. But if you really want to be a doctor, you got to do it. I don't want to go to a doctor that it's not prepared. Here, fix my teeth. He's like, here, I got a hammer. If you if you have a leadership gift on your life, if you want to serve and lead in any capacity within this house, just be willing to be faithful in serving people. Elijah's gift served people. It's what it did. You know, let me close today. It's funny. This sermon, I wrote lots of things and I wrote lots of thoughts and I was working on it and I was thinking about it and I was praying and I just felt like Saturday I I wrote it I mean, Thursday, I literally wrote it, but I was thinking about it and I added some stuff Saturday morning and I was at someone's party and I could tell my mind was bothered. Have you ever been somewhere, been up there? I was at someone's party and I was kind of like, oh, for some reason, I just need to work a little more on this sermon. And, and I just found it interesting that my sermon was unwaiting. But I kept on going, God, I need more clarity. <laughs> and I was going to preach on something else, but it was like, no, just wait. And I hate when he does that. 
I wish He gave it to me Monday. I just, tomorrow morning, I just wake up and go, oh, I know what I'm talking about Sunday. But there is a process that God takes you on. And maybe I just needed to wait. And maybe you do too. Come on all across this place. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Spirit of the living God, let your presence come now. Let someone who's been waiting for something a long time be encouraged you're still at work. Let someone who's putting no action into their waiting, you, you convince them and nudge them where they need it. I pray for this house. I pray for every man. I pray for every woman. I pray for every family represented. The Father, where they just need your work on the inside, on their mind, on their heart, on my mind, on my heart. Oh God, I pray that you would work what you do. God, I pray that you would instill in each one a warrior spirit. I pray they'd fight for the right things. But I pray, Lord God, they wouldn't be fighting in vain, but God, they'd be waiting on you for effectiveness. Help us be a place and help us be a house and a church that's never picking the wrong battles, but standing in the right places. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are good. While eyes are closed all across this place. You know, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He gives a picture of God actually waiting, Jesus waiting at the door of someone's heart to say, Son, daughter, can I, can I come in? And then the Bible goes on to say that if anyone hears my voice, I'll come in. But it's when we still ourselves, it's when we silent ourselves, it's when we push away the noise of the, the world and even the, the roar that sits sometimes within our own mind or in our own heart to say, God, you've been waiting on me when it should have been the other way around. I should be waiting on you. If you're here in this place and you don't know Him, if you're in, the, in this place and perhaps you have religious, you come to church, but do you know Him? Have you been changed is the best way I can describe it. Do you have new desires, new hopes? If, if you don't have new desires, He wants to give you new desires. But first He has to say, son, daughter, you need to come home. If you're in this place and you don't know Christ, I wanna pray a simple prayer. And that prayer will lead you to Jesus. So come on online and in person all across this place. Why don't you pray this simple prayer? Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for waiting patiently for me. I open the door. I declare you, Lord, forgive my sin. Come into my life. Break down the altars of false worship 
self-worship. And I ask you, give me the desire for true worship. Make me to be the person you created me to be. In your mighty name, I pray. If that's you today, coming back to God or receiving Him for the first time, all across this place, would you slip up your hands, slip up high, say, Anthony, that's me today. That's me today. That's me today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. There's another hand over there. Thank you. That's awesome today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Father, I pray for every hand, but every heart. Oh God, touch their heart where they need it. Touch their life where they need it. Spirit of the living God, pour out upon your people. I declare your name and your wonder, Lord, over your people. I declare, Lord God, them effective for you. God, I pray that you'd clarify your voice in their life. I pray you'd lead them. I pray you'd guide them. I pray you'd be their shepherd, Father. Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be in every life, every mind, every heart. Lord, I pray for the health of every family now. In Jesus' name, I thank You and I pray. Come on, if you receive God's Word, we give the Lord a huge hand in the house of God.